As the heat and humidity settles in here in Washington, D.C., there's a sense it's going to be a long, hot summer on Capitol Hill. In about five months, we've gone from looking forward to an infrastructure package that we were told would make record investments in projects to simply looking for action on a new surface reauthorization due at the end of 2020. This is Hard Facts. I'm Robert Johnson. Through each word of the debate, Sam Mintz has been reporting it for Politico. Monday through Friday, writing about everything that moves for his newsroom's morning transportation newsletter. Sam joined us in the studio this week to talk about where we've been and where we're going. We started where the national conversation ended, the White House meeting that almost was. Right. Well, so the collapse of those talks between Democrats and the White House have sort of led to this pivot um, in D.C. and on, on Capitol Hill where people are starting to look at the surface transportation reauthorization bill that's due next year in 2020 and sort of looking at that as the vehicle for all these ideas that people have about infrastructure. And that's sort of a more limited vehicle because you know what House Democrats have wanted to do with this big infrastructure bill, which is all but finished, it most likely won't happen. That's dead. Yeah, that's most likely dead. And what they had wanted to do was have sort of a broad bill that included things like broadband and water treatment, housing, schools, etc. And the surface transportation reauthorization is a much more limited vehicle that's going to focus on highways, uh, transit and solely transportation stuff. And so that's what they're pivoting to now, and they're sort of looking at how to approach it as compared to a, a broad transportation bill. We can talk about the pivot in just a second, but you raised it this scope creep on the bill. Is that what killed it? No, I, I think what killed it was sort of the pure politics of it. The fact that, I mean, as everyone saw in that very dramatic last meeting, you know, the president stormed out after five minutes after saying, you know, you're investigating me. You know, Nancy Pelosi went and said all these terrible things about me today, earlier before this meeting. You know, I can't I can't work with you, essentially. I think that's what killed it. I think that was always sort of inevitable. You know, infrastructure has been one of the areas that everyone said, oh, we could have cooperation on this. We agree on this. But I do think it was always sort of inevitable that it was going to collapse and that it, we were going to revert back to the sort of more traditional reauthorization that's the only thing that Congress can really do now is these reauthorizations rather than sort of standalone bills. I was a little surprised that anyone in the opposition would say anything negative on the eve of that meeting. It, it seemed like a mistake to me. There was a lot of talk about the strategy going in, the tactics. I mean, one theory that was floated out there was that, again, this is just a theory. I'm not endorsing this, saying it was true or anything, but was that the president had been tasked in the first meeting with coming up with a, a pay-for for infrastructure, a funding mechanism, then was not able to come up with something that could please his conservative base or even sort of the conservative factions of his White House who don't want to raise revenue. And so basically decided on purpose intentionally to blow up this meeting and sort of seized on Pelosi's remarks as an excuse for the reality that he didn't come up with a funding mechanism, or couldn't come up with something that worked for everybody. Again, not endorsing that, just saying that's one of the theories that uh, that's out there. Chuck Schumer has has floated that as a, a theory for why the, the talks blew up. Washington's all about theories, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would think if I were going into a meeting like that, I would try to lock down everything, say nothing to upset it, given the circumstances, so that you don't give the president the opportunity to throw up his hands and walk out, at least not contribute to that. 
both sides have said they want to do an infrastructure deal, but I would argue that it's not a top priority for either of them. The president even said, the, actually, the night before the second meeting, he said, you know, in this letter that he sent to, to Democratic leaders, he said, you know, actually, so we want to work on infrastructure. We want to have this meeting tomorrow. But one prerequisite is that we want to pass a trade deal first. And so I think both the White House has priorities that are and were above infrastructure and do Democrats, which I think they're, you know, I think their investigations, subpoenas, all that stuff, they would have to say would take priority over, over infrastructure. Yeah, I don't want to pick on just the Democrats here. Certainly, you could make a very strong argument that the president already had a list of reasons why he could blow this up and I mean, obviously felt compelled to choose one from that list. Yeah, and, and like I said, I mean, what came out of that first meeting a few weeks before the meeting that really blew up was apparently, according to some of the people who were in the room, as we reported, was that the president had said that he would come back and present a funding proposal. And we, you know, there was some reporting in the interim, in the build-up to the second meeting, about what they were willing to do and not do, about what they were looking at. You know, the gas tax always comes up. There were reports that Trump would consider a gas tax, but then there were other reports that, again, these sort of conservative factions, conservative voices lobbied him really hard not to even consider that. And so here we are. We are pivoting. We are. <laughs> We're pivoting back to the way we've paid for infrastructure for 30 years. Yeah to a reauthorization. What's the big picture there as it stands today? Well, the big picture and kind of the big question is this, again, this question of revenue. Democrats have this plan they want to put forward. They would have put it forward as part of an infrastructure bill. Now they'll probably put it forward as part of their surface reauthorization where they want to raise the gas tax. They want to index the gas tax. They want to create new revenue to fund infrastructure improvements. But the chairman of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Peter DeFazio, has sort of acknowledged, given where Senate Republicans are on this, that's probably not likely. And so what they're probably looking at is borrowing from the general fund or finding some other sort of makeshift fix. He thinks that new revenue is not likely, even though that's sort of the centerpiece of what his party and his caucus wants to achieve. I think everyone agrees, but sometimes... They don't want to admit in public that without new revenue, we're just not going to really be able to even begin to tackle this problem of the infrastructure need in America. Yeah, I think there's some agreement on that. But there is also an argument from Senate Republicans who, of course, will have a major say in the reauthorization because anything that passes will have to go through them. That sort of the way to approach more infrastructure, investing infrastructure is by streamlining permitting, working on these requirements for how quickly agencies have to approve projects, uh, funding, things like that. There is the argument that I've heard made, especially from conservative groups, that we need to focus on repairing existing infrastructure rather than creating new infrastructure. We've been talking about streamlining since I was in the Bush administration back in the early to mid-2000s. So that's not really a new idea. It's necessary because some projects take way too long to even get off the drawing board. Uh, but again, you still have to pay for things. Yeah, You've got to pay for that, Yeah, the process to get through the permitting and everything. There just doesn't seem to be, with America changing, driving changing, electric coming, that we're on a good path right now. Yeah, no, and, and the reality is that the Highway Trust Fund is in trouble. The current setup of the Highway Trust Fund is not going to work into the relatively near future. Um, and there are all sorts of 
different ideas about the ways to fix that. Obviously, a vehicle miles traveled fee is sort of the goal that people see in the medium to long term, um, where you know drivers would be charged basically based on how much they drove instead of how much gas they use, um, which is to address the fact that there's more electric vehicles on the road, vehicles are more fuel efficient. Um, and that seems like an idea with pretty broad consensus, a, a strong policy idea that people agree on. The problem is that implementation is pretty far off. And I've heard 10 years is the soonest that technology could be up and running. And then, of course, there are plenty of other concerns with it, too, involving privacy, implementation, GPS tracking. I mean, there's different ways to do it, but there's there's problems with all of them. Although a reauthorization goes six years. Yep. And that's not counting any potential extensions, which could add another year or two to the process. By the time you get through all of that, you're there. Pretty much no one is saying we're going to have VMT in this reauthorization. I think the best that anyone could hope for is having a pilot, a national pilot. There have been state-level pilots for VMT, and I think the idea is to try to work a national pilot into this upcoming reauthorization. And again, pretty solid agreement on that from leaders in both House and Senate and both parties that I've talked to are sort of on board. It's just a matter of, of implementation. And then, of course, of finding something for the near term. We don't interview members of Congress as much as you do, but of those we've spoken with, it sort of comes across to me sometimes like a tale of two chambers. Very optimistic commentary coming from the Senate, regardless of Democrat or Republican. On the House side, both parties, big frowny face on this topic. What do you see when you think about all the conversations you've had on both sides of the Hill, the mood being on this topic? I mean, this topic is pretty much the same as as every topic these days, which is that only the really top-line ideas that can really find strong agreement in both parties are going to pass. It's going to be hard to sort of push forward any complex or nuanced or legislation that has any sort of disagreement. I mean, as you saw with the disaster relief bill that has been sort of floundering the last couple of weeks, both parties agree on it, but just the sort of minutia of how, well, in this case, how the House works has sort of held it up. And I think those problems are just amplified because Congress is divided. It's agreement in principle. Right. And that's about where it stops, it seems. On infrastructure, everyone agrees, well, for the most part, everyone agrees that we should invest in infrastructure. Nobody goes out there and says, oh, I don't want to fix our roads and bridges. But it's sort of finding a smart policy idea for how to do that, that everyone can agree on is sort of proven impossible. Obviously, for years, this is not new to this Congress necessarily, but I think it's a problem that will persist. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the reauthorization conversation. Asking a journalist to make a prediction is always fun because journalists ask their sources to predict things. Turn the table around on you a little bit here. And I'm sure it will be a rosy prediction, too. <laughs> what, what do you think is going to happen between now and the end of the year, or, or, or is the timeline longer than that? The timeline is actually an interesting question because, again, it's something that the two chambers are not aligned on. The Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, which is who has jurisdiction over the reauthorization, or parts of it at least, have said they want to push out a bill really soon. Like they want to mark up a bill before the August recess of this year, which is ambitious. We were a little surprised that they aimed for that goal, but, you know, no reason not to, I guess. If they if they have it ready, they've heard from other members. So on the House side, the House T&I Committee, DeFazio has sort of 
called for a longer timeline. He said, you know, we'd like to have a bill ready by the winter, by January or something like that. So then we have nine or ten months to conference with the Senate, sort of figure things out before the surface bill expires in the fall. So really, we're going right up against the deadline. I think so. I think that's always the case with these reauthorizations. Obviously, we covered the FAA reauthorization last year, which was extended several, you know, several times before ultimately passing past the original deadline. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. They're trying to start early. They always try to start early, but they also always seem to push right up against the deadline. I mean, we'll be talking about this well into 2020, summer and fall 2020. It's the worst timing because of this presidential election, too. Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine anything happening in 2020. Yeah, and, and that was why sort of the, the conversations over infrastructure, a broader infrastructure bill, had this kind of shot clock on them. I mean, nobody thinks that that could have happened in 2020, which is why they were sort of pushing to have these meetings now. I mean, the reauthorization has to pass, essentially. I mean, that you can't, can't sort of let that float on forever. Or so, you extend it. Right, or you extend it. I mean, and again, that's definitely possible or even likely. But it, it will be interesting to see how the political dynamics affect that. I mean, that's I think that's why DeFazio says there probably will be no mm-hmm. new revenue. There's not going to be much room for sort of maneuvering um, compromise on stuff like this that the you know that the president might have trouble signing. It's just not going to happen. They might even be happier to wait until after the presidential election, hoping that maybe they get a Democrat in the White House and can talk about revenue again. It's it's certainly possible. You like this politics stuff, don't you? Sam? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I do not want to make predictions about the 2020 yeah, well, election, though. I think it's pretty <laughs> safe to say that Democrats want their own person in the White House. Yeah, and definitely. That would help them advance their conversation. Two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf says, yeah, right? Yeah. Could, could give some leverage. But again, you know, that's it's well off in the future. And I don't think anyone uh, anyone on the House Democrat side is, is going to bank on that. No, they're not going to say anything for now. Did we buy into some sort of fantasy thinking that this meeting, the first meeting at the White House, was actually going to yield some results? Because everyone was pretty excited about the fact that it did not end in disaster. Depends who you ask. I wouldn't say that me or many of my colleagues bought into sort of the the rosy promises that came out of that meeting. I mean, it was it was a surprise that it went so smoothly and that nobody yelled at anybody. And in that sense, I'd say that the second meeting wasn't a surprise, that it fell apart. I mean, again, the goodwill can only go so far when there's just such kind of animosity between, in this case, House Democrats and the president. We're sitting here in Washington, so this back and forth is part of the daily routine for us. People out in the rest of the country listening to this interview, though, are trying to make a living each day. You know, they pay attention to this because it does affect their business, uh, but they can't focus on it the way we do. So help them with the cliff notes, or in this case, the SAM notes. What should they be watching for and over what period of time? What are the clues that there might or might not be something happening? Any tips? The first thing will be just to look at the texts of the reauthorization bills that come out in both chambers. I think they'll be pretty different. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about the direction the House wants to go with a gas tax increase in index, and that will not be in the in the Senate bill. They will sort of have to wait until 2020 because, you know, like I said, that's when sort of the, I think the substantive conversations will start. The conference meetings, as DeFazio has said, you know, he's not rushing to get a bill this year. So they'll kind of watch and see what the Senate does, and I think that'll sort of set them up for how miserable they're going to be as they start to conference next year. In the meantime... It's 
play-by-play every day, just trying to read the tea leaves, looking to see if anything's changing? Like I said, the Senate bill will be pretty predictable. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they sort of talk about any of the budgetary gimmicks that we've seen in the past in terms of the Highway Trust Fund, what their kind of approach is to that, because I, I think they haven't talked about new revenue in the way that the House has, but they'll have to sort of address the Highway Trust Fund shortfall regardless. The bottom line then is be patient? Yeah, be patient and sort of watch the general political atmosphere in D.C. I don't expect it to get better necessarily. I asked a couple of Republicans in particular on the Senate side about whether they thought the fallout from these broken down infrastructure talks would affect the highway reauthorization. And there was sort of, there was there were mixed answers. Uh, you know, John Barrasso, who is the, the chairman of EPW, will lead the Senate reauthorization, said, no way. You know, we are pushing fully ahead. We're cooperating with the Democrats in, on our committee. But John Thune, who's been involved in infrastructure work in the past and is now the number two Senate Republican, sort of said, I mean, it, it couldn't help. You know, it, this is me paraphrasing him, but political fallout from that meeting could definitely impact the, the reauthorization process. Well, that's a lot to look forward to then, isn't it? <laughs> not not rosy, like I said. but Well, it's never a dull moment in Washington, D.C., and certainly not on your beat covering transportation for Politico. We appreciate you taking the time to come by the studio and share a little bit of insight uh, that uh, we can hold on to for however many months we need it. Of course. Thanks for having me. And if people want to check out our work every day, they should go to politico.com slash morning transportation. We have a a newsletter that goes into all of this every day. It's a great newsletter and it's free. It is free. Absolutely. We'll put the link in the show notes for that. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Next week, PCA's outside government relations expert, James O'Keefe, is along to give his view of the congressional timetable and to talk about everything on PCA's agenda. Resilience is top of mind, and the cement and concrete industry has a solution. We'll get his view of what's up in the swamp next time. That's Wednesday, June 12th on Hard Facts, a podcast production of the Portland Cement Association. I'm Robert Johnson. I'll see you then.